Hey everybody, it's officially draft season, and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hello everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Stone Hanson, and the next in our series of guests here to talk about the Charlotte Hornets. And this is obviously a team that's the second pick. They're in a lot of flux. They were I mean, you would argue the second biggest winner on draft night, uh, aside from obviously the Spurs getting that second pick. But that second pick also has come with a lot of questions, and, and we can't wait to dive into it. And there's no one else we want to get on other than the great James Plowright. He's at British underscore buzz on Twitter. He hosts the All Hornets podcast and also uh, manages and edits the All Hornets website. His stuff is great. The, uh, the Hornets were a weird team to try and follow this year because um, LaMelo barely played. Uh, obviously they were trying to integrate a new coach with rookies and, and um, a lot of weird stuff going on. And, and he was a great person to follow kind of through it all. James, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you guys very much for having me on. I am basking in the NBA spotlight of them being at the center of the NBA draft. I mean, it's, it doesn't really happen when you are just, everyone is wondering what the Hornets are going to do. Uh, and it's pretty interesting right now. There's a lot of there's a lot of smoke out there about the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, there is there is a lot of smoke, and and we're gonna get into all that. And this will be, I mean, this will maybe be the most fun discussion we'll have of like an individual team in the draft, just because there's so much weirdness, there's so much history with this team. Michael Jordan might be selling. They obviously have a sort of new coach, but also not a new coach at the same time. But I want to take a step back and focus on last season first. I mentioned, you know, LaMelo Ball missed most of the season. Cody Martin missed a lot of the season. This just felt like a team that was incomplete. But there were still some positive signs, especially I think I think the big winner of this year was the center position with Mark Williams taking a huge step forward um, as throughout his rookie season and looking like he can be kind of that starting center of the future. James, what were your thoughts and, and feelings about how this last season went for the Hornets? It depends. I think you can look at it both ways. Most people look at it as a complete and utter disaster. You know, they were a 43-win team the year before. This year, they won, you know, not even 30 games. Um, if you ask me, it was a necessary pain that they had to go through. And as soon as this, the, the moment that Miles Bridges got himself into legal trouble last offseason and Kenny Atkinson turned changed his mind on the job, at that very moment, that was when already I was saying the Hornets need to take this gap year, this tank year. Like the the depth in the league was super deep. A lot of teams got a lot better. And Charlotte were one of the teams that had gotten worse. And I didn't see a path for them to be competitive last season. So it, it was painful. I mean, I mean, it was tough to cover because the team were dreadful in offense and defense for 75% of the season. The exciting players you wanted to see, you didn't get to see. Even when the mobile ball played, he was never healthy at any single game he played last year. And I definitely think that, you know, it influenced his play style. But they went through the pain. They came out of it with a second overall pick. And if they'd have just won 37 games last year and done another Washington Wizards style year, I think the future would be much bleaker for the Charlotte Hornets than it currently is right now. So it was it was a painful watch. 
but there were little stories, you know, JT Thor really came on towards the end of last season, Mark Williams, Nick Richards emerged, Dennis Smith Jr. resurrected his career. There were these many little sagas within the disaster that was the season that if you pair that with some, you know, better health, um, some, you know, more talented players being able to play the second overall pick, I still think there's enough to be excited that I would be nowhere near as ranking Charlotte towards the bottom of the league in terms of future potential. I think they're not in a they're not in a great spot or a good spot, but they're in a fine spot for going forward. Yeah, I think that's all those are all great points. And and you mentioned that future and and uh, sort of being in that fine spot going forward. And obviously that all centers around LaMelo Ball. And LaMelo Ball is up for a contract extension this offseason. I'm guessing we are going to see Probably the full max, um, I, I would imagine. James, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on Ball as a player and how to best build a team with him as like the the star in the middle of it? And what are your thoughts on his extension and his future with the team and, and all that type of stuff? I mean, Lamelo is the most talented player, that's for sure, to ever play for the Hornets. Um I still think like at this stage, Kemba Walker still reached a higher peak. I mean, Kemba was 13 more NBA and they're very different players. Kemba is maybe not the most natural star that there was, but he worked his way there. Whereas the Melly Ball just has this effortless talent around him. Um, I mean, in terms of his fit on the team, Lamelo is an excellent deep three-point shooter off the dribble, off the catch. Um, he can pull up from way beyond the three-point line. And I'd say that is probably his greatest scoring threat right now um he used to come into the league with the floater he's kind of eliminated that from his game more or less i think under steve clifford um his biggest issue is he he struggles around the rim he struggles in isolation he's not you know the most athletic guy he doesn't draw a lot of fouls really fades away from contact has these lot big kind of floatery finishes things so i don't feel he's like your classic okay the game is on the line give the ball to lamello and clear out like that's not the type of star he is he is more of a connective star in terms of with his vision, his passing. You know, he would happily drive out, uh, pass out of drives on a regular basis than trying to score out of drives. So I actually think Lamella Ball's game is tailor fitted for him to be like a number two option on an extremely good team, probably more so than being that number one option. But I don't think it's possible to really put limitations. Uh, I think it's more likely that would be the path right now, but he is still so young. He is developing. I think this past season, he very much favored basically non-contact all the way through because he was playing with sprained ankles the whole time. And you could tell he really didn't have confidence in his body. So he took a lot more jump shots, didn't get to the rim as much, um, wasn't initiating contact. So I think it's really hard to look at last season as like what that's the kind of shot profile and player LaMelo Ball is. I do think there is more to him there. But... In terms of fitting around him, um, he is never going to be a, a great defender, even though he has the kind of tools and intangibles that I think he could be. Um, and he definitely made steps last year. He actually took a major stride. It won't show up anywhere. It's not going to show up in any stats you're going to see. But I'm telling you from watching 82 games, Steve Clifford got the guy buying into defense more than James Borrego ever did. Um, but he's still someone who you're going to, you know, if you're pairing next to him, you're going to need some good defensive players around him. Yeah, I think I, I think that those are all great points. And you mentioned him kind of being like like Taylor made to be that second star. I think the most 
encouraging thing with ball in general is just that he has had that consistent improvement and that's been something in his game from his freshman to sophomore year of high school it feels like every single year he's gotten better at at least a couple major things added major things you mentioned that like deep range shooting pull up off the catch um all that stuff is great he's still obviously one of the best transition handlers transition guards in the you know in the nba i think the issues with him are like he does not seem like a a particularly great pick and roll ball handler right now. He just doesn't quite have that like burst and explosion to get to the rim a ton out of pick and roll, even when he was healthier. He's yeah. more of like a like I think he's at his best kind of attacking a second side and and making that type of those type of reads. So like when we're talking about building around him, and I, and we're gonna get to this with Scoot and Miller and and have these type of discussions. Like I I don't think you have to leave people out of the picture with the idea that LaMelo Ball is your point guard and that everyone else like has to be kind of subservient to that because he's not that type of like heliocentric half court and full court creator. You kind of want him more. Yeah, he's the transition point guard. He's a great defensive rebounder, grab a defensive rebound and, and push the ball, throw some super dope passes. But then in the half court, be that spot up shooter, attack a second side, you know, run off ball actions. Like I, I think that's a great, like general idea for him let's talk about some of the other young guys on this team because this team is full of them we will for right now avoid talking about miles bridges just because this is not the place to hash out all that weird legal stuff i'm guessing he's back on this team honestly he's still technically a restricted free agent um because he no one else signed him or reached out to him he wasn't it's a weird thing but he is still technically a restricted free agent i expect him to be back but you know whether it be cody martin nick richards obviously mark williams James, what's your kind of feel for like the rest of this, you know, quote unquote, young core? Well, I think Mark Williams is the guy who <clears throat> I think last year really emerged in the second half. I mean, Charlotte have been desperate to get a starting quality center pretty much since Al Jefferson left. And the level of play that he gave the team, um, and a shout out to Mason Plumley because he was actually very good for the Hornets in the first half of last season. But Williams just gave them... Uh, the level of play that they've been searching for for years. And especially with a guy like, you know, not a great defensive backcourt with Terry Rozier and the Mellow Ball. There's a lot of guys getting to the rim. Having a shot-blocking presence back there, which is absolutely huge. And and the, yes, there's defense, but I think he impressed more than ever, like his, his offense. Uh, he had some real post games, some good footwork. Uh, he wasn't just a catch-and-dunk guy like Mitchell Robinson. He, he really showed a little bit of polish and a little bit of offensive growth. And I mean, Steve Clifford and Steve Clifford is normally the first guy to get people to stop shooting threes. Kai Jones, that went for his game. Nick Richards, it went from his game, but Steve Clifford is saying he thinks Mark Williams will be shooting threes in NBA games next season, which is not like Mark, Steve does not do that with a lot of people. And that shows that he's got very real faith in Mark Williams taking threes. So if you're a summer league this year, keep an eye out for Mark Williams stepping out, taking the threes. Um, after that, I'd say the guy who probably popped most last year was JT Thor. And that was pretty surprising because in the first half of the year, he was kind of playing, getting minutes, mainly due to injuries. And I would, I think it was fair enough to begin to doubt, is this ever going to come online for this guy? You know, the shooting wasn't there. He was a like an Isaac Okoro type, really low usage. And whenever he did shoot, he didn't hit anything and he didn't fill up the stats or the box score on the defensive end. But then Steve Clifford just kept speaking about him time after time, loved his approach, said he, you know, knew this guy and report better than anyone. 
And by the end of the year, he really took a step forward. Both his confidence, the game slowed down for him. He was protesting, making plays on both ends of the ball. And he's a guy now that has definitely jumped ahead of Kai Jones in like the ranking of prospects and probably James Bucknight, um, despite being taken in that draft in the, in the second round. Uh, but he is now firmly ahead of those guys in the pecking order and probably in the thoughts of most Hornets fans as well as a three-point shooting defensive Swiss Army knife. Yeah, and Thor was someone who I loved in that draft. And, and you know, th- this team has, like, a couple interesting prospects. I actually think they've done, like, all right in the draft. Like, I you know, I had my issues with the book night pick, but at 11 he was seen as a faller. So, like, that was a fine pick. I thought Thor was a good pick. I thought – the process on taking Kai Jones was good. It hasn't worked out, but I still like that process. Um, you know, I and then Bryce McGowan's last year I thought was a pretty great pick. Even yeah. Mark Williams, like I didn't love that pick. I would have preferred they just took Duran, but like I kind of get it now. Like and like he what he did look really good last year, and he looks like someone who maybe it's not like he's not like an all star or anything, but it looks like he's going to be a very solid big for a long time. So let's kind of talk about this second pick and 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 where you think this team is going with it. James, do you think there is any chance at all we see this pick on the move? Or are you basically 100% sure that the front office is locked into making this selection? I'd be shocked if they did move it. Um, if they did move it, it would have to be for, you know, a star level caliber player who's going to be on a major salary. And I don't think, I just think with all the the moving parts that they've got with players coming back, uh, in terms of Miles Bridges being the guy, I don't think that they are going to look to make add that big star right now because I do, I still think they're trying to figure out which of these team are part of their foundation, part of this team going forward for the next two or three years because last year was such a write-off. Um, we know in the new CBA, drafting and developing your own talent is the most valuable thing that you can do. Um, and being able to get these players under cost-controlled deals for four years like you can, like I can tell you, Jalen Brown is will be way better than Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson in year one. That's not an argument. The argument is that Brandon Jalen Brown is going to cost you fifty million, whereas these guys are going to cost you know between eight to fifteen million, depending what year they're in of their rookie contract. So I think having the option to to build a foundational young piece next Lamelle Ball, I know Mitch Kupchak loves the talent in this draft. Um, I think it is extremely likely that they. Keep well. Let's call it, let's call it a pick in the top of the draft. Yes, there's obviously. I it feels like the top of this draft could have some very weird machinations. Um, I've even seen things like proposed where it's like, I don't know, like the Hornets somehow end up with with Simons and four in some type of like weird, you know, move up trade. Like it just kind of feels like that type of draft with the Blazers so set on trying to move three that if a team is trying to secure who the Hornets are saying they're going to take it to, but maybe don't actually want, like I could definitely see that type of stuff happening, but in general, I'm with you. I, I think they're likely to stay somewhat put unless they can really get that type of high level player. And even then it's like you mentioned with the money, this is a front office that tends to care about that type of stuff quite a bit. Um, so let's I, I will about- say if they could, if they could move back to three or four, and they can get the guy who's ranked second on the board, they'd do it. Because one, why wouldn't you? You'd get some assets. And two, like there is different in salary when you get to these top picks. And moving back to three or four, it does make it a little bit cheaper down the line. And you'd probably pick up maybe a first round pick, maybe an interesting player, or there's always options like Houston, if at the 20th pick, I've talked about, you know, 
moving back to four and you get you swap the 27th and 20th pick um for Houston and Charlotte there's there's all these different machinations you can do but bottom line they're not moving back to take a player lower than the guy who's number two on their board whoever is the number two guy was Victor Wembanyama they're going to come out of this draft with that whether that's a two three or four it depends who that number two player is Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's just a great point. Let's talk about that two, three, and four. And we'll mostly focus on Scoot and Miller because Thompsons feel very tertiary in this conversation, just in general. I will lightly hit on Ahmed at the end. But James, I'm just gonna leave the floor to you. What are your kind of general thoughts on, on Scoot versus Miller here at two? Well, the first thing I'll say is the Hornets fan base is, I mean, 90% Scoot Henderson um, and are ready to turn their back on this team if they don't draft them. Um, I think that's a very extreme view. I think if they'd come in at three, Hornets fans would have been pining and hoping that Brandon Miller is, you know, is 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 there. And to be able to get hands on a prospect like that would be important. For me, I had Brandon Miller ranked second on my big board since February. All the way up until draft lottery night, after draft lottery night. Um, for me, and I stand by this now, the the tape that I see and the skill set, I'm more impressed by what I see from Brandon Miller than I am Scoot Henderson. At the same time, the Charlotte Hornets are not an organization blessed with leaders, with culture changes, and all the intel I've got from people on the record, I've had Adam Spinella, Matt Babcock on our draft podcast on the All Hornets Podcast Network. Um, I've reached out to people connected to Scoop and with his agent who played with him or had coaches who who've had interactions with him. All the intel I got on Scoop is just off the freaking charts. And this kind of stuff does matter when it comes to the NBA. Um, and I think Charlotte have the opportunity to add someone who... Like LaMelo Ball is a fantastic player, but I wouldn't say he's your classic, like mature face of the franchise. Maybe he'll develop into that. Like it's possible, but I don't think he's that now. And I don't think he's going to be in the immediate next few years. Whereas you, you see Scoot interviewed. He's like the most polished 19 year old I've ever seen in the, like my life. It's just ridiculous. He is, comes across so well. Um, and the feedback is that happens, you know, all his teammates absolutely love the guy. And for that reason, recently, I have slightly lent back to Scoot Henderson as the pick just because of the situation. And also, Brandon Miller, you've got the outstanding, it's not even really outstanding, the overhanging legal case, which has been settled. He's not a suspect for anything, but, you know, apparently he can't talk about it to any teams. That's been obviously something that's been reported by Gavoni and Wu from ESPN. And... That does give me some pause when you're talking about this team who does have this Miles Bridges situation coming back. They are separate, but at some point, like Miller just needs the right team to go to where I think that isn't brought up every time anyone talks about them, which I think it will be in Charlotte just because of the surrounding situation. Yeah. Stone, out of these two, kind of where are you leaning and, and why? Um, I, I'm firmly scoot. Um, because I'm lower. You're obviously Bryce lower than me, but I'm lower on Brandon than most people. I still think he's a good player. I just think to me, Scoot is like the clear cut number two guy. And with that thought process in mind, um, for me, it's when you're this high in the draft, it's always take the best player available and worry about fit later for me. 
Um, and for me, Scoot's the clear number two guy for me. So I would, I would definitely lean that way. I also happen to think that the fit works really, really well. Uh, I'm not one of these people that questions, you know, how can they have two point guards on the same team? I think a lot of the stuff you guys were talking about earlier where Lamelo's better probably as an off ball guy and offensively in terms of half court creation and being more of a connective piece rather than this lead heliocentric initiator type. I think you can sort of give that role to scoot and in Lamelo can be like at his best being off the ball more where he's a really good off ball shooter. As James was talking about earlier, I think the passing's awesome, but I think accessibility to those passes isn't always elite because he can't always get downhill and I think being able to have Scoot tilt defenses more and Lamella do more of that second side attacking uh, and find guys off of that uh, with his creativity as a passer I think works really really well Um, and defensively like I'm not too worried about Scoot defensively people make a big deal about his height 6'2 is not that short um, in basketball if especially when you're that sort of athlete that he is he's not super frail he's not you know, he's giving effort on that end. And I think also LaMelo has become, to me, a positive NBA defender under Clifford. Like, I think he's actually, um, I, I think the hands are have always been really good with LaMelo defensively. And I think he's become someone that I'm not worried as a liability on that end. So I think they happen to fit really well together. And I also think for me, Scoot is just the best player available in that high I think it's difficult for me to imagine going a different route uh, in process-wise. I always think the De'Aaron Fox-Halliburton example is a really interesting one for both sides of this argument. Because if you're team Brandon Miller, you can point to that and go, look, both De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, they were good together. Like Everyone knows they'd be able to play together. But like they both excelled as individuals when they were had their own teams, when they had the ball in their hand you know, 90% of the time rather than having to play that kind of like balancing complementary role. Now, at the same time, you could argue, well, if that is the case, then you trade one for a great piece and you get something back down the road. So they traded, obviously, Halliburton for Sabonis, and that worked for the Kings. So I think both sides can point to that situation. The Miller ones can go, well, they were both better on other teams. The Scoot ones can go, well, they did play well together. And if you if you do reach a point where you have to pick one, that's fine. You've got two great players who you're going to be able to get something back for. So I always think that's a, an interesting like dynamic looking back at an, you know, a recent kind of two lead guards having to share time together. It's, it's fascinating. I, I really don't know what the right answer is. For me, and Eileen Scoot, as Stone had kind of alluded to, I, I think that for me, I, I, I both those players are better like prospects than either box or Halliburton was in their respective roles. Um, I think I'd be fascinated to see what Lamelo looks like playing with another half court creator. I also think Scoot is a very good off ball player. People are going to point to the jump shot and say, Oh, he has to have the ball one. I think he can probably shoot like, like the, the pull-up numbers have always been good. The form looks fine. He's been shooting at an NBA three for like, this is his, you know, this will be his third year shooting from NBA three. A lot of guys have it a lot. You know, if he was shooting from the college three, would he have shot like 36%? I think there's a world where that had happened because 
Like he takes super long pull-ups all the time from, you know, about where the college three is. Like I, I don't, I don't have trouble buying the shot, but either way, he's a great cutter. He is a, he has really great feel for where space is, how to play off of another creator. Um, and I also think like, to maximize Lamelo, he cannot be. He's not like a heliocentric creator. That's not who he is. I don't think. And honestly, I think the the limitations of heliocentrism for anyone outside of guys like Luca or James Harden is pretty extreme. You have to have other guys who can you know carry some of the offensive load. And I really do question Miller as a creator. I think he is a great shooter. I think he can be a very good like second side attacker and passer, but. I never was really impressed with his like pick and roll ball handling. Um, well, or his... See, this th- that's one. Th- this is one thing that I hear consistently, and I, this is where I really struggled because I watched Miller. I probably watched seventy five percent of Miller's total games this year, and he has just got the hostage dribble nailed down. He he does so well to get into the little position, and at that point he can rise up and shoot in the mid range, which he wasn't given the green light to do at Alabama because they were all threes and layups. But we saw it in high school that he was a much better mid-range scorer. So I, I do see like some isolation, like space. If you're playing drop coverage against him, that's fine. I'll go up and shoot it. But I I, I mean, some of the passing flashes that I saw, there was the, the look away where he had the one-handed, kind of left-handed shovel pass. Uh, there's some great passes to, to bigs, to the Bediaco when, you know, on lobs. I, I really like his passing for a, a guy who's, you know, this isn't a 6'6", a you know, wing here. We're talking about a guy who's legitimately six nine. This is a big guy, and I thought for someone who's a freshman, that's one of the things I liked about him. So this is interesting, right? Where you can you can watch the film and you get different interpretations of of the strengths and weaknesses. So I suppose for me, where I I I, I you're right. He does have that like uh, you know crab dribble or whatever you want to call it, like keeping the guy on his back. He's very good at that. I really do worry that he basically never got to the rim against college um you know college defenders and he also was i mean he was playing in just about like one of the better spaced offenses you can have at that college level and never really stood out to me as someone who was really creating at a high level in the half court i'm with you with the passing flashes like i think he could be a very good like especially in transition he's another guy like both these guys are going to boost this team's transition even more Though I do worry about Mark Williams in transition, but that's kind of another story. Um, but I, I just, for me, I, I feel more comfortable that Scoot, like in terms of his ceiling being like like higher as as a half court creator, but also like I don't think the floor is a ton different. He's another guy who I think can really develop defensively under Clifford. Like that's what Clifford's really good at, and his feel for his. Point of attack defense was not good because he doesn't sit in a stance very well. And he's kind of, um, he struggles to get through screens, but his off ball defense was really good for GLI. And I kind of like the idea of just having like two guards who are really funky elite off ball defenders and then kind of figuring the rest out. But I, 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 I get where you're coming from where there is like, there's an interesting argument here. And that's why I do want to ask you, James, like, is, is there a world where you're upset with either of these picks or are you no, pretty happy? absolutely now? not. Oh, I mean, draft lottery night, my my hope was if it's top three, you know, everything from there is a bonus, right? And to move into the top three, not just that, but be able to choose which guy they want, uh, control the draft. I'm thrilled with either of these people. Um, I think, you know, the one thing I will say, go watch the Mississippi State game for Brandon, Brandon Miller because – 
I, I wrote the, got my scouting notes right here. In three possessions in a, in a row, he hits the roll man. He finds the empty man on the side on the corner, and he throws an alley big. And then I wrote passing masterclass versus Mississippi State. So this is one game. I all your listeners go check out that game for his creation. But no, I I'm thrilled with either. Uh, like I said, I've wavered from Brandon to Scoop, but I am absolutely in the camp that I think both have extremely exciting futures. I think Miller is exactly where the NBA is going in terms of where there's like value in the draft for these six, nine versatile can play multiple positions can, you know, shoot from very deep 70% on uncontested threes this year. And then also he's got that playmaking element. So if guys start, you know, showing hard on him or trying to take him out as a rhythm, he can punish teams with his passing. So I'm, I'm thrilled with either. Honestly, I'm like, I think, Fans find this way now to talk themselves into this world where there is a good, you know, one option is the path to NBA stardom and the other one is the path to NBA hell. And I, I just don't see it with this pick. I, I I think both of these guys are really, really talented players and would, you know, I think both have got potential to be every bit as good as Lamelo Ball, if not better. While we disagree a little bit on Miller, I, I don't think there's a Marvin Bagley pick here. Um, I, I think all, even if they were to take an Amen Thompson, who I really like, I have, um, you know, right next to Scoop, basically. Um, I, I don't even think that's like a horrible pick by any means. There's not that type of like, what is this guy doing? Scoot is not a completely unmissable prospect as good as he is. Um, so I, I think there's like a lot of options to be happy with. Um for now, we can move on to pick 27. We will circle back to this third pick when we talk about best case, worst case scenario. James, just who are some names? Who are some interesting guys that stand out to you who might be around kind of at 27? Who you'd be pretty happy should the Hornets draft? Well, it's a really interesting pick because Charlotte, believe it or not, have a roster crunch issue. They have 13 players basically under contract next year, and that's not including Kelly Bray, Dennis Smith Jr., um, you know, that's that's assuming you have a second pick. Um, so they can only really add, I would say, like one other rookie onto their main roster outside of the second pick because Mitch Kupchak has already said that last year the team was too young and not deep enough and he doesn't want to do that again. So they're going to have less young players on the team than they did last year. So that means they are not going to just pack out the rest of their roster with draft picks. So for pick 27... I'm thinking the more likely route would be a maybe a draft and stash kind of guy. So Ryan Repair, if he was around, James Naji could be a potentially a prospect there, which might look to go uh, overseas or stay overseas. Those are a couple of guys, you know, another one, um, Bobby Clintman. Again, I know he played Wake Forest last season, but he could be a guy who uh, would, would play overseas. I think that's an interesting route to look at if they are, you know, if they're planning to keep 34, because if they're planning to keep 34, they probably don't use that on a two-way level guy. They probably use a standard NBA contract on that. And I don't think they keep 34 and 27. So I think it's a bit of an either or an or. And maybe you keep 34 and you do the draft and stash there. But I almost think you have to look at them kind of related to each other. Um, But yeah, Ryan Repair is the guy. I've got him 22nd on my board. So he'd be good value there and he'd be able to stash him. And you'd then be able to maybe pick someone at 34, um, a a Marcus Sasser. If they pick Brandon Miller, I really like Marcus Sasser's fit. If they went down another line, I really like Ben Shepard. 
um, who obviously exploded recently. So there's, I mean, I have a tier from like 12 to 28 in this draft, all in one tier. I, d- I don't think there's a great big deal. I'm not a big trade up guy, package 27 and something to move up. I'm just wait, see what's there. Take one of the picks. Um, and yeah, if it can be a stash guy and it's appropriate value, then great. And if not, uh, maybe looking to take someone and then move pick 34. Do you think we might see a like like a trade here at 27? I know you mentioned you don't like a trade up or a trade down, and I'm with you. We've talked a million times on our on, during this series how like it's the draft is so flat from like 12 to 30, basically, or somewhere in there. Um, are there any like is there any ideas that maybe there's just a trade out of 27, or do you think it's you know, or like 34, like as much as it sucks, 34 is absolutely a pick that could just get sold. Uh, like the like the Hornets. That's could be- gone. That that used to happen. I I'd be the first to admit the Hornets used to sell the second round picks for fun. They've not sold the second round picks since Mitch Kupchak has been GM. So that that will not happen. I can promise you that. Um, I think it's possible that it is moved. I think there's some interesting. We talked a little briefly earlier. If they were to trade back with Houston or Portland, both those teams have additional picks in the first round ahead of 27. So I think there is some possibility of like flipping picks there if there was to be a move. Um, Other than that, I I think Charlotte are unlikely to have a first round pick in next year's draft uh, because they have a, I think it's a top 10 protected pick to San Antonio. You might call it unlike, there's a chance they might not. So they might, if they can try and flip a pick for next year, could be something that they look to do into a 2024 draft. Although we know I've not scouted next year's class yet, but all the rumors are, it's a lot weaker. So maybe that's something you, you look to avoid. Um, but yeah, I think it's possible they move out of 27, but I, there's not a lot of guys in this roster, unless you want to move off James Bucknight and Kai Jones, and you want to use the 27th pick to kind of get those guys off the roster or get one of them off the roster. Cause they're, you know, into years three and four now of their rookie scale contract. I just don't love that as like a move to, to be given up on either of those guys this early, especially Kai Jones, who's a project big. You don't give up on a project big two years into it. Like this is this is what you signed up for, folks. You have to stay until the end. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Where it's like, it, like it doesn't really feel like there's a great consolidation trade to be made here. It might be book night. I could see 27 at book night, or you know, as much as it would suck, uh, it it could be Kai Jones as well. Um, but it, you're right that like, if if they actually do want to get older, it's hard. Maybe there's something with like. 27 and Rozier for like a you know like different type of player who's kind of on a similar level to Rozier like there are teams that could use just like a shooting point of attack defender like Rozier but I'm with you uh Stone is there anyone who's out to you kind of at 27 or 34 who you could see um the the horns targeting um I would like Strother with either of these picks I think Strother provides a level of shooting and off-ball movement that could really um accentuate uh either scoot or lamello um or if they take miller you have multiple you know like really high level shooting options on the wings um i think he would be an interesting pick with either of those um the other guy that i like uh in this sort of range would be colby jones um i think he just is versatile enough to play multi-positions um can be uh the point guard or the um a backup point guard or like a wing next to Lamelo, 
Um, I think he is is able to just fill different roles for any given night, uh, and I think that provides a lot of value, especially to get that at like 27 or 34. So um, those would probably be the two names that immediately come to my mind. And Charlotte have worked both of those guys out already in the yeah. draft process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we've, we've, you know, we've all seen the reports probably now that Charlotte placed a lot of value on the draft workout, which, which came, I feel like we're going to be talking about Charlotte placing value on the draft workout for like the next seven years as being something that was reported once. And now we just think it's like absolute gospel, which it, it might not be, but, but yeah, I think, yeah, two, two interesting names there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, like there's, there's not a ton of guys who stand out that you didn't mention. Like this is a hard draft to find stash guys. You mentioned stash, like, you know, in that aside from repair and maybe Najee, but even Najee, I think Najee would be kind of a Rick, a reach at 27 and like a weird positional fit too. Like, you know, I, I just don't really see that repair could make some sense. This is probably too late for Bilal Koulibaly at this point. Um, yeah. that so was the, that was the name a few weeks ago, but that yeah. train's left the station. Yeah, well, that's so you're kind of at like like a tough spot for like stash guys because there's not even Bobby was a great name. You brought up Clintman, that's a great one. Other than him, though, there's not even a ton of like you know overseas guys who play college ball who you could kind of stick. There's not even like a Luca Garza who remember that was like a thing with him was like oh he could get drafted just to be stashed overseas. You know, and, and it's probably too early to take like a Justinian Jessup type and draft him and then have him do the NBL and that type of stuff. So I feel like it, it is a weird spot. I'm interested to see what they do with those picks. You mentioned Sasser. Sasser would probably be my top guy here. Like just another, I, not that they need like a ton of point guards, especially if they take Scoot at two, but like just as someone who I think is probably an NBA player who is going to contribute, this team has had success with guys like Dennis Smith Jr. and and Sasser brings kind of a different element, but I could see him fitting into that bench role yeah, as well. Um, definitely. Are there any other names? So so at 39 and 41, I feel like this is where it's like, you mentioned they have a roster crunch issue. I doubt they're going to make five picks. James, what do you think is going to happen with these picks? Do you think they're going to make them and just kind of have them be two-way guys? or who? And if, if so, who are you looking at in this range? Well, they do need to fill out some two-way slots. So they finished the year with Teo Maladon, who I think may have played him way onto a standard NBA contract somewhere next year, probably not in Charlotte. Um, Xavier Sneed was the other guy who finished the year, but that kind of felt like a you've been a good soldier in Greensboro for the year, so we're going to give you a two-way to give you a nice pay bonus, but I don't think he'll actually be on a two-way next season. So it wouldn't shock me because they converted Bryce McGowan's last year if you know that they need to fill out these three two-way slots that they now have right and it wouldn't surprise me if they say look into this draft and go we like the depth a lot more than 2024 we're gonna fill out our two-way slots this year so there's you know there's a couple of guys i really like jordan walsh um from arkansas i i just think um he's someone who really i liked him all year i didn't think he was going to stay in the draft but would be a guy i really like next year but then obviously had a really good draft combine and Charlotte don't really have like a lockdown defensive wing. And I think he could be a really interesting prospect to to come along. Um, So he's kind of a guy who I think there, but the other option is that they just like Mitch Kupchak always moves around the second round. He goes up, he goes down um, depending on how things go. I think if anything, he'd go backwards in this draft um, to try and pick up maybe future second round picks in in another years going forward. Um, So that's the probably most likely trade I see with 39 and 41. 
Yeah, I could definitely see them moving back, picking up future seconds, or moving back to take like, um, you know, there's there's some guys like I would really love this as like an FA Boogity spot. Um, we haven't talked about him much, but I think he's like a a different but similar enough type of center to Mark Williams, and I think he if that if his knee's healthy, I think he's really good. It just the knee seems like it's complete jelly. But you mentioned that this team is kind of willing to take some injury risks, so I, I would like this as a spot for him. This would be a great Jalen Slauson spot, I, I think. Um, I think he's someone who really stands out to me as just just a really solid basketball player who you could probably get on a two-way. Um, I'm There's not, like, a ton of other, like, two-way guys I love here. I know this is a team that worked out Angelo Allegri, who I really like. Um, his stats profile does not look anything like an NBA player, but I think he would be a fun uh, – I, I think he would be a fun um, bet here. Stone, is there anyone you like for the Hornets in this range? Um, Seth Lundy, I think would make a lot of sense here. I really like him as, uh, being someone that, you know, he's on one of the two ways, but you're still getting like NBA level value from him. Um, I think he can provide like a role despite being on that sort of two way contract. Um, and you know, eventually maybe converts to a, a standard, um, another guy I would, uh, consider taking here, Andrew Funk, another shooter, um, who, uh, just provides like some some really high level shooting um, building out your roster with a guy who is a, as good of a passer as LaMelo I, and creative as a passer as LaMelo I think just stacking on shooters is like not a bad move at all um, taking as many of these shots at as someone that can provide value and hopefully uh, be you know not atrocious defensively I think is it's a very viable strategy. So um, th- those are a couple of the names. The other guy um, I like who would be more of like a backup point guard bet would be Mike Miles. Um, I think he just provides uh, a different look, someone that can fill that Dennis Smith Jr. role if they were to move on for him or they've had a lot of injuries. He's had injuries last year too. So even though they had a, a lot of guards last year, they still had like guard depth issues because a lot of them were injured at the same time. Um, so, you know, taking another guy who's your backup to your backup or uh, eventually supplants, um, Dennis Smith Jr. If things go well, I think is, is a fine bet to make as well. Charlotte fans have been hoping for a like young point guard prospect to like draft and develop since even like before Lamelo ball was drafted and especially now and every single year, they just seem to cycle through. Like it's Tony Parker one year, it's Dennis Smith Jr. Just these like one year candidates who come in, do the job, and then end up moving on and going elsewhere. And it would be nice to have someone in the building that you could work with on a you know a bit more of a continuing basis. And obviously, there might be the case here with Scoot where you basically don't need another point guard, right? That that could be the possibility because you stagger them, them and uh, Scoot and Lamelo down the line. Yeah, I, I think I think we brought up a lot of interesting names. This is just a fascinating team. And and James, we like to get big picture here to end things and, and discuss sort of what the best and worst case scenarios are for this offseason. And and you as an analyst or a fan can kind of take this a number of different ways. We've gotten a lot of like the worst case scenarios just stand pat and run it back. We've gotten, you know, best case scenarios is, is the exact same thing, run it back, stand pat. So what's like your let's start with worst case. We like to we like to get the bad out of the way. What's your worst case scenario for the Hornets this offseason? Worst case scenario. Wow, I've not thought about that. 
Um, it's hard because you, okay, like like as a fan of both, you feel like that second pick is so bulletproof right now. Yeah. But like, it it so and, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Worst case scenario is that they don't take either Scoot or Brandon Miller, and that they trade back or go back and take one of the Thompson twins. Uh, that that would be the draft. Um, then it would probably be trading using 27 to like move off like we talked about earlier kai jones and james buck knight um you know using the pit to basically do a salary dump i I wouldn't like that then in terms of free agency i guess it'd be like you know letting i don't know re-signing kelly Oubre, drafting brandon miller no re-signing kelly Oubre to like a massive 18 million per year deal because he scored 20 points per game last year like i kelly Oubre was Everyone joked that he's not any good and he puts up empty stats. He was generally good last year, but there's, you know, there's a middle ground between viewing him as a 20 point per game scorer and also being like, well, yeah, because everyone was injured and he took a bunch of shots. Like there's a, a healthy middle ground. Um, so I wouldn't want that overpay. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably my worst case scenario uh, outline there. I think all that's fair. And especially you mentioned 27 to get rid of Book Knight Kai. This was always my worry with um with the hiring of um Clifford is that he seems like a guy who likes to win and I respect that and and this was a team that if healthy I think could have won last year but they weren't healthy and I I get like you don't want to spend too much time developing a ton of guys when you have some players who are ready to win but I also do worry that like if he's pushing the timelines forward just too much like it's all right to, you know, get better, but still focus on development some too. And, um, you know, especially Kai Jones, like you, you mentioned earlier, you said it perfectly. Like you signed up for a project, big man, like to move off of that project, big man, after two years before the project's complete would feel like a bit of a mistake, but let's end positive. We like to kind of end these on a positive note. Let's talk best case scenario. So James, what is like, and you could say, you know, you can name names at, at every pick you can mention, you know, specific trades, however you want to handle this. What's your like best case scenario? The Hornets are perfectly set up in your opinion. What does that offseason look like? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to look at this through two lenses. One, if they were to draft Scoop, I would then be looking to hit like a Ryan repair at 27. In the second round, take a couple of two-way guys. Jordan Walsh would probably be one of them. Maybe Brandon Pozemski, the other. Um, then like for the... Free agency, I I would be looking to probably bring. Who did who did I say I was going to draft two overall in this scenario? I've forgotten already. Scoot, this was Scoot. Scoot, okay, this is Scoot. Uh, then I would pr- would probably then bring back Kelly at that point, but at a you know ten million per year, something of that nature, um, and that would pretty much pretty much be it. Um, if you were drafting Brandon Miller. I'd really like a guy like Marcus Sasser at 27. Again, I still like the idea of maybe Jordan Walsh, but then uh, probably wouldn't go down the, you know, could still go down the Brandon, Brandon Przemski line again. I like that name in the second round. Um, then I think you wouldn't be bringing back Kelly Bray at all. Um, I'd have to look at like in depth. I, I, I'm i not in love. I, I love what Dennis Smith Jr. did last season. Um but I also think it's really hard to have like a strong functioning NBA offense when you've got just a guy who is a complete non-shooter playing a point guard spot, which is pretty rare in the NBA. 
Um, so I, I maybe look at some free agent options in the in the point guard market. Um, Would it no, make I'd more love... sense to bring back Teo if um, if you weren't bringing back DSJ? If Teo was going to be a lot cheaper, you know, if DSJ was going to be eight, nine a year and you were able to get Teo on, you know, biannual money, then then yes, I'd probably be interested in that, factoring in some some growth from Teo. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd be up for that. The the other option would be for um oh, I've forgotten the name of who I was gonna say now, but yeah, I know we'll go with that. <laughs> And I think that's a great, like, I, I'm glad you split it both ways because you'd be so happy with both. And I think those are, those are, would both be really fascinating, especially um, I'd be really into seeing like what, you know, a, a repair, you know, overseas stash looks like um, what, you know, pods could do on this team. That's a great name to pull up. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of intrigue with this team moving forward. And this is without even getting into the machinations of things like a potential sell and, and all the weird Michael Jordan stuff, yep. but that's uh that's not that's not for me to analyze um and that's also no fun so we'll we'll avoid that stuff for now james you're you're an absolute pro i i've I've loved your work for a long time uh everything you do will be linked down below but let people know where they can find all your great work yeah you can follow me on twitter at british underscore buzz you can find my work work at all hornets si uh, for the sports illustrated website covering the hornets and you can find my podcast on the All Hornets Podcast Network on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, and we have a dedicated draft show uh, running all the way up until the draft and into NBA Summer League where we purely focus on the NBA draft. So even if you're not a Hornets fan, but you want some extra draft content because you're not getting enough with upside swings, which I'm pretty sure you are with all the podcasts you guys are doing at the minute. But um, you can come check us out there or yeah, just check out for any Hornets info. You can never have enough draft podcasts. That's just, that's the, that's the truth. I have a it. lot on my phone. So yeah. Yeah. That's it's uh, uh it's, it's a, uh, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. It's a busy It's good time. not to be in the echo chamber, isn't it? Like if yeah, you just like, sit around with your own thoughts all day, you don't think about things any differently and you listen to different points of view and it makes you start, you know, reevaluating and you, you kind of, I feel like the more you listen, the less you feel, you know, but, you know, I think that's almost healthy in some ways because you're not in a place of irrational confidence over a point of view because you can always see the other side of the point. Yeah, basketball is a sport, is a sport where um, there are no binaries. There's no, yeah. um, it, it's not like, you know, like I always compare it to baseball because baseball is like the other sport I pay attention to. And baseball is all statistical. Like you can literally everything has a, has a specific exact measurement in one way or another. And basketball is just never like that. Even though the analytics revolution has caught up with basketball in some ways, it's still just, it, it can never be that simple. So there's, there's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I can't recommend James's work enough. I think he's a great follow on Twitter. He keeps up with, with Hornet stuff like Intel wise, uh, but he also has just a great perspective on the game. James, we thank you again for stone out Porter score court. I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. Give us a like or any of you, all that fun stuff. We hope you enjoyed listening. This is, this might be our longest of the 30 for 30s we've done just because there's so much to discuss with the Hornets. So we hope you guys uh, enjoyed that. And yeah, this has been the Upside Swings VA Draft Podcast. We hope we're ceiling. Thank you. We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. 
We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.